Effective Living with Reverend Henry Hubert. May you be blessed as you listen. Now, the message. Lord, you I've been teaching on spiritual warfare. It's a subject that is much talked about, but not well talked about. Everybody in the charismatic church, especially in Africa, is talking about spiritual warfare because we are always fighting demons. But proper in-depth teaching on this subject is very, very, very shallow. So I feel led to write a book on that, which I've been working on for like two years now. And last year, I taught uh, a lot from what I'm putting together as a book. Last year, we, we prayed on voices. How many remember? Prayed on voices. Then we prayed on witchcraft. And then we prayed on familiar spirits. Then we prayed on, uh, what else? Dreams. Remember, I did a teaching on dreams and how to pray effectively. So those are all part of a book I'm writing. This year, I've been talking about um, the basics of spiritual warfare, the armor of God. I've taught about the armor of God, how believers must wear the armor of God. I've taught about the origin of Satan and then the kingdom of Satan, how they operate, the structure of the demonic kingdom, principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in the heavenlies. Then last week, I taught about the origin of demons. Where do demons come from? Today, I want to continue. And I must say, I mean, I will not be able to complete everything on spiritual warfare this year also. So come back next year, July, and learn some more. Amen? It's a very broad subject. And I want to make sure that I teach it well. So we are not going to rush through it. Today, I want to talk about the levels of demonic activity. There are four levels of demonic activity in the lives of people. Four levels of demonic activity in the lives of people. Anybody that is having encounters with demons, which all of us are, so four levels of demonic activity. The first one is oppression. Oppression. Second one is aggression. Third one is obsession. And the last one is possession. Most of the time, people focus a lot about demonic possession. We are always looking for who is possessed. We are always suspecting people with at least activity, demonic possession. But there is more than demonic possession. So what is demonic oppression? Demonic, let's start with the first one. Demonic oppression is the external demonic attacks on people to afflict them in various ways and influence their lives negatively. So when we talk about demonic oppression, it is not an effect of a demon inside you. It is the activity of demons outside of you, but that have targeted you and have decided to fight you in one way or another. And everybody... Both born-again Christians and unbelievers will go through demonic oppression. Anybody with a great destiny and a great plan, and of course, everybody that is existing on earth today, God has a great plan for the person's life. And so Satan's plan and purpose is to continue to afflict people, harass people, attack people in different ways. Let's start with Luke Chapter 13. I don't know if we can read all the scriptures. Luke 13. Okay, thank you. Now, he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 
18 years and was bent over and could in no wise raise herself up. So there was a woman in the temple who was bent down like this. That's how she works. That has been her life. And the Bible said the cause of this problem is that there was a spirit called the spirit of infirmity. And this spirit attacked the woman's health and caused her to be bent and she could never raise herself up. Let's continue. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to a woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. That means the woman was bound. She was not possessed. She was not possessed. She was bound. And sometimes, every now and then, you meet people that are under bondage of Satan. Satan wants to keep them bound. Bondage simply means you are not free. In my lifetime as a pastor, I've met many people. At the end of everything they are saying, they are just telling you they can't feel a sense of freedom. There is an attack. There is some harassment of the devil. There is some harassment of the devil. And Jesus said, you are loose from your infirmity. Verse 13. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight. And she began to glorify God. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with anger, because Jesus has healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, there are six days on which men ought to work. Therefore, come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath day. <laughs> Somebody has got miracle. Some people are not happy. Religious people are not happy. But Jesus answered and said, hypocrite. Is that not a good way to answer people in church like that? Jesus wasn't always gentle to people in church. Sometimes he was hard. Because sometimes you can't help it but tell the people the truth. I tell you, if Jesus was a pastor today, I'm sure many people won't go to his church. In fact, some of you won't go to his church. Because one day he got so angry, he took a whip and whipped people in the church. Whipped people. Get out. Turn my father's house into market. Whip them. I'm sure for some of you would have beat Jesus up. I know. Hypocrites. Does not each one of you on the Sabbath lose his ox or donkey from the store? And lead it away. So this ruler of the synagogue, if it was his daughter who was healed that day, I'm sure he would not have stuck like that. But hypocrites, what they do is that if it's for them, it's good. If it's for somebody, they complain. That's hypocrisy. Verse 16. Ought not this woman, look at this. Ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has what? Bound. Whom Satan has bound. Think of it for 18 years, be what? Lose from the bond on the Sabbath. It doesn't matter which day it is. I said, it doesn't matter which day it is. Somebody who is bound ought to be loose. Today we are going to lose some bondages. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Every bondage in any area of your life, your finances, your marriage. You know, so when we talk about oppression, sometimes it manifests in a form of fear. You know, sometimes I've had to pray for people. You no, know, we all fear sometimes, but extreme fear, extreme fear is demonic. And some people live all their lives afraid of everything in this world. They can't do anything. They can't take any step. They are afraid they are going to die. They are afraid they are going to fail. They are afraid the marriage will break up. They are afraid somebody will take their husbands. They are afraid somebody will kill their children. They are afraid somebody. They are afraid of everything. Fear. Sometimes demonic oppression can manifest in sorrow. People can be so sorrowful 
all the time. And negative and sad. Extreme sadness all the time. Nobody has died. Nothing bad has happened, but, you know, they are just sorrowful. And then it graduates into despair. You lose hope. That's what causes people to commit suicide. You lose hope. You feel like all of life is useless and worthless. Like Solomon will say, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. That is demonic. And Solomon said that when he backslided. Yeah, when Solomon backslided and built temples for Molech and for Baal in Israel and began to follow his strange wives to worship, he lost the presence of God and he came under an oppression of the devil. Then he opened his mouth and started saying, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. You cannot have the Spirit of God with you and open your mouth and say, all is vanity. No, it cannot happen to you because you will always have a sense of hope and purpose. It doesn't matter what is in your pocket. It doesn't matter what you have, but the Spirit of God has a way of making you know life is more than how you are now. Yeah, sometimes confusion. People are confused. They don't know what they are confused about, but their whole life is not holding together. Rejection. Extreme anger. I know people who are very good until a door is about to open in their life. Then they get angry, misbehave, mess up everything. And when the door is closed, they come back to themselves and they behave very nice. Demonic oppression. And come against people. Let's read the book of Matthew 16. Matthew 16, 23. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. For you are not mindful of the things that, the things of God, but the things of men. Jesus was talking to his disciples. Suddenly, Peter got up. Can we read verse 22? And the Bible says he began to rebuke Jesus. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. And Jesus responded and said, Get behind me, Satan. Jesus called Peter Satan. Was Peter possessed? No, but he was under a strong demonic influence at that time. Peter was under influence. Sometimes Satan can influence you. That's when you have a lot of bad thoughts going through your mind. Go and kill yourself. Go and do this. Go and do that. Don't go to church again. This whole church thing is just useless. It's hopeless. He said, you are always mindful of the things of men, but not the things of God. That's the demonic influence. And many believers who are not very sensitive can be influenced in different ways. And these influences come when people become unspiritual. One way, when you become excessively angry, Satan will give you advice. Slap her. Tell, your, tell him your mind. Tell him your feeling and whatever will happen should happen. Anger is one of the things that opens you up. Another thing that opens you up to influence is, is lust. Lust is ungodly desire for pleasures that are contrary to God. Mm. So believers are under influence all the time. Jesus rebuked because only somebody under influence will rebuke a spiritual authority. If the devil hasn't jumped on your head, you cannot look at a man of God above you and rebuke him. Hello? Peter rebuked Jesus. Jesus, oh, Satan will always justify for you a, a good reason why you should rebel against 
spiritual authority. It's a demonic influence. And sometimes in church, you can see people under influence. And most of the time, it happens when their blessing is very close. Because the, the devil knows that blessing will come through the prayer of the man of God for you. So he will set you up to begin to put up behaviors that grieve the heart of a man of God. And every man of God is a human being. So when people get angry, it becomes more difficult for them to pray for you than when they are happy with you. Especially when there are people in the church that the pastor is happy with. He prefers to pray for those ones. And when he's done with people he's happy with, he can spend a little time praying for those he's not happy with. And sometimes by the time you pray, finish praying for those you are happy with, you are tired. Jesus called Peter Satan. That's a demonic issue. It's important when you walk with God that you mature to come to the place where you know you can be able to hold yourself and say, no, I am under influence at this particular moment. Listen, nobody is beyond influence. Nobody. No level of anointing can exempt you from influence. So me, I've, I've, I've served God for long. No, it's not like that. Well, I've been going to church for 50 years like that. It's not, that's no, that does not exempt you. Oh, me, I'm very, very anointed. No. You have to be sensitive to the spirit to know this is not me. This is not me. I think something is wrong. I'm behaving outside of myself. If you don't come to that place, then um, I'm sorry, spiritual warfare, it will just be something you've been saying, but you can never, ever, ever be able to prevail against the works of darkness. You can't. You can just be saying it. In the book of Luke chapter 6, Luke 6, 17, Luke 6, 17, and he came down with them and stood on a level place with a crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and from the sea coast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and to be what? Healed of their diseases. Look at verse 18. As well as those who were tormented with unclean spirits. And they were, thank God they were healed. Hallelujah. Thank God they were healed. So there were people who came to Jesus who were not possessed. They were what? Tormented. Tormented. The another word for torment is torture. Torture. Satan can torture you without possessing you. Afflictions, pain, displeasures, all, all harassments in life. All harassments. Most harassments or demonic harassments are a work of satanic oppression. Let's go to the next one. Demonic aggression. That is the next stage. So if you conquer the first level, you, you graduate to the next level. Aggression is external demonic attack that seeks to control people's life and keep them in bondage. So aggression is a higher form of demonic activity than oppression. Aggression, most of the time, has to do with a spirit entering your life. I will explain what I mean by entering your life. There's a difference between a spirit entering your body and entering your life. When a demon has entered your life, it means that they have access to your life. They have been assigned to you, follow you, monitor you, attack you, make sure specific areas of your life are always under attack. They put limitations on you and they fight you. Demonic oppression can easily be unnoticed. 
Demonic oppression can easily be unnoticed. For example, when Peter was behaving toward Jesus the way he did, he did not know that he was under an influence. Demonic oppression can easily be unnoticed by the person under oppression. But aggression, you will know. You will know that hmm, Satan has targeted me. Yeah. Luke twenty-two thirty-one. And the Lord said, <laughs> I think Peter has had a lot of experiences with demons. <laughs> Uh, because he was the, the leader, and Satan doesn't, can't help it, but target <laughs> important people, <laughs> leadership, amen? Yeah, so when Satan is on your trail, he should tell you what, you are carrying something great. Look, I thought I would hear amen to that. Yeah. Jesus looked at Peter one day, he said, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> Another day, he called him, he said, Peter, come, 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 come. Satan has desired, you know, he said, Satan has asked for you has asked for you. Do you know what Jesus was saying? Jesus had picked a word of knowledge that Satan was looking for an entry point to what? Attack Peter. Then verse 32, Jesus said, but I have prayed for, in other words, I have denied Satan access. He said, I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. So if not for Jesus who picked up that attack in the spirit and prayed for Peter, I'm telling you, Peter would have backslided like Judas Iscariot did. And Satan had his own plan. Why? Peter must fail and backslide because the church, the establishment, the building of the church was going to be in serious challenge. Are you following? So in demonic aggression, Satan comes against people to the point that they know. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 12. We'll read from verse 5. He said, of such a one I will boast, yet not myself. I will not boast except in what? Oh, come on. Except in? Yeah, okay. So Apostle Paul said, I have many things to boast about, but when it comes to health, uh, I cannot boast much. My infirmity. So it is believed Paul was so powerful and used by God greatly, but he had some health challenges. Let's see where he came from. <laughs> he said, for though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool. That means boasting is foolishness. Hello? Boasting is when you begin to take the credit for what you are. Because you and I, we know that it is not you that made you what you are. That it is God. Do I have a witness here? You and I, you know, we know that you are not as smart as people think. You know, when people look at it, they say, ah, oh, this guy is really smart. But you know you are not that smart. Amen. You know how many times you kneel down pray, Lord, if you don't come through, I will be disgraced to help me, oh. Then God came through, and you went around with raised shoulders. Apostle Paul has news for you. It's foolishness. Say, I deliver myself. In Jesus' name. <laughs> he said, for though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will speak the truth. Can we talk, tell the truth all the time to ourselves? It's not you. It's not me. I'll speak the truth, but I refrain, lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me or hears from me. You see, that's pride. When you begin to make people see you above what you actually are, you are proud. Pride is overestimating yourself, making, behaving above what you actually are. Paul said, I don't want to create an impression that will make people see me above what I am. Unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations. Paul was a man that's had so much visions, I mean, you, you, can't, you can't think of it. The Lord really, really 
gave him grace. Yeah. It was Paul who could tell, tell that, look, that the things I'm teaching, I receive it directly from Jesus in a vision. Peter, James, and John, they, they received teaching physically. <laughs> Paul did not receive Jesus physically. He received the revelation in a vision. Take a pen and paper. You see in vision, you writing. And he wrote almost half the New Testament. Yeah. So he said, for me not to be exalted above measure, because of the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I, should, I be exalted above measure. Paul said, the reason why I had so much challenges was because there was a demonic activity against my life. And Paul was aware of it. The word buffet, he said, a messenger of Satan was given to me to what? To buffet. The word buffet, I don't see in another version, give, me, give it amplified. To buffet means to molest or torture, harass. Or do you have amplified? A messenger of Satan to torment. Yes. Paul was under torment. And Paul said it was good for me because it's always helped me to know I'm human. Yeah. Because if not for that, Paul said I would have become very proud. So to keep me from exalting myself. Look at verse 8. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My loving kindness, my mercy are more than enough, always available regardless of the situation. For my power is being perfected and is completed and shows itself most effectively in your weakness. Therefore, I will all the more gladly boast in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may completely, completely enfold me and may dwell in me. Amen. Okay, so Paul said he pleaded with God. I'm sure he did what we all have been doing sometimes. And sometimes we, we summon God and say, God, explain. How can I be serving you and go through this challenge? How can I serve you and lose my child? God bless me with two children. I lost one, a boy. Oh, God had questions. Oh, yes. How can I be serving God? Then I met Bishop Jensar, and he told me he had only one son. If you go to Bishop Jensar's office, I've been to Bishop Jensar's office, you see pictures, people he has prayed for who had given birth to quadruplets. I think about four pictures of quadruplets. Then you see triplets. As for those ones, plenty. So people who have given birth through the ministry of Bishop James, like singles, oh, it's over 100. I was looking at the pictures and I was telling him he has a son, only one. How can you explain that? Because sometimes the attacks of the devil is what gives you privilege to really experience God's power. There are people here who can tell that God is a healer, not because they read it in the Bible, but because they saw it. Some of you can only tell it from the Bible because you've not experienced it. There are people who can tell that God can prosper people because they were first very poor. And some of you here, sometimes you may see people who were born into rich homes. You know, they had all the privilege. They talk about how they went to some of the best schools. And you know, you, when you were growing up, you were setting traps for rats and... Uh, sorry? Uh, <laughs> in the bush. You were hunting, you carry gun. I had a pastor friend, he used to be a hunter. He, had, he carries gun and go to the bush in the night and wait for grass cutter. But today he's preaching all around the world. 
God has blessed him greatly. More than some of my friends who were born in rich homes. So Paul said, God told him that, look, my grace is sufficient. My power sometimes is revealed in the face of your challenge. So every attack of the devil, it happens sometimes as if God had allowed it. Because he knows exactly where he's taking you to. Yeah. But you need to understand that there are also some attacks of the devil that you need to take a stand and know how to deal with it. And know how to deal with it. Another example is Job chapter 1 from verse 7. You all know the story of Job, so let's not read it because of time. You know the story of Job, isn't it? That is an example of demonic aggression. God said, I withdraw my covering. Go and attack, but you are not permitted to kill him. And why did God do that? God told Satan, I know my servant. He will never turn his back. Sometimes God trusts you, and you don't have to fail him. He trusts you that at, at 40, you will still be faithful. And that you will not compromise. You are single at 40, but you will still not compromise. You will keep yourself. And then he will bless you with a good marriage. He will bless you. He knows that you can be married for five years with no child. But he trusts you that you won't leave church and go somewhere looking for a child. You won't go to the shrine. And so me, I've, God, God knows I've waited long enough. The Bible said, Satan had Job, didn't he know it was the devil? Of course he knew. When you're under aggression, you know. You know. In fact, I can show you another scripture. Um, 1 Thessalonians 2.18. Apostle Paul, he said, Satan hindered us. And how did he know? Did he see Satan standing in front of him saying, I won't let you go. No. Yeah, but Paul was telling the church that they should pray that that hindrance will be removed. And Paul said, even I, that means nobody is above aggression. Even I. So, if you are a born-again Christian, filled with the Spirit, it doesn't mean that the devil will not attack you. He will attack you. But he cannot destroy your life. I say he cannot destroy your life. And you need to know how to exercise authority against demonic aggressions. Because it is in the exercising of your authority, that's when God manifests his power. That's when God manifests his glory. That's when you are able to really experience God. And everyone here... The reason why Satan will always attack people is to make them doubt God, disbelieve God, and turn their back on God. He wants to fight you until you give up on your faith. That's why Jesus said to Peter, I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. In other words, I pray that you should not backslide. Nobody prayed for Judas. That's why he backslided. I pray you will not, you will not backslide. Amen. Leave a right hand and say, no matter what I go through, no, no matter the battles, I will not quit. I will stand strong. I will stand firm. In Jesus' name. Amen. Put your hands together for the Lord. Demonic aggression. Third level. Third level. Obsession. What is obsession? Obsession is when demons have access to your body and sometimes your mind. And this can happen to unbelievers. It can also happen to believers. Obsession is internal demonic control. Let's start with the Luke 22. Luke 22, verse 3. Then Satan did what? <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> Satan entered Judas. 
They didn't torment him like he tormented the Apostle Paul. This one, he jumped in. But you know where he went. Who can guess where he went? To the mind. Because the guy was greedy. I think I'll be teaching about entry points next week. One of the serious entry points of demonic of demons is greed and materialism. Greed and materialism. Greed makes you put money and material things above God and above people. And when you get there, I have one scripture for you. Can you imagine Peter was looking at Jesus and said, wow, I can make money from the, on this guy. And they are in every church. I think those people didn't come to church today. What do you think? Greedy people are dangerous. They will sell you for money. They will kill you for money. No, greed is what makes people kill their children. Everyone who has gone for ritual money has destroyed somebody. Either his children, his wife, his parents, or himself. It's not free. You will get the money, but it's not free. Greed. Greed is what will make somebody see Jesus with all the anointing on his life. Because some people don't have any value for the anointing. Some people have no value for God's blessings. All they have value for. Money. Money. Satan entered Judas, whose surname was Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. Verse 4. So he went his way and conferred with the chief priests and captains how he might betray him to them. Satan entered uh, Judas' mind. He entered Judas' mind. Yeah. So obsession is when a demon can enter your mind. Sometimes he can enter your emotions. When Satan enters people's emotions, that's why they have depression. Some depressions are medical. Some are demonic. Some are demonic. No amount of medication will stop it or no amount of therapy. I think last week, Saturday, Prophet Anon was giving a testimony how somebody came to him. They have gone through all the therapy, all the medications, and the, the lady was still depressed. Suddenly, the Lord opened his eyes, and he saw demonic spirits. They were hooting at the lady, mocking the lady. So all the time, she feels a sense of rejection and depression. Then he rebuked the spirits. He said, for 18 or 16 years now, that lady is fine. So believers can be obsessed when they open the door. Judas opened the door because of greed. Both believers and unbelievers can be obsessed. Demonic possession. So we have oppression. Everybody say oppression. oppression. Then you have aggression. Then you have obsession. Obsession is when a demon has entered the mind, or let's say the soul, or the body. And sometimes believers can have a demon in their body. For instance, that's what causes addictions. There are church-going people who are born again, but they are addicted. There's a demon there. Addiction means there's a compulsion. You can't stop. And I've met people who say, I want to really stop alcohol. So why is he not stopping? Superstition, they will tell you they are, the witches have put a pot in the stomach. They are indirectly just saying that there's an obsession. That's a layman's interpretation of obsession. Hallelujah. Yeah, but there's a spirit. There's a spirit that has entered the body that craves for that thing. All drug addicts have a demon in their body. So all addictions are a result of an obsession. And people are not only obsessed to drugs 
and to alcohol. The people can all even be obsessed about a lot of things. The last one is demonic possession. Demonic possession is internal demonic control and influence on people who are giving demon access to their spirit, soul, and body. So when they say somebody is possessed, it means their spirit has taken over the person completely. That means the person is owned by the demon. Hello? It means the demon is inside his what? Spirit, soul, and body. Here, only unbelievers can be possessed. That means only unbelievers can be completely owned by a demon. For a believer to become possessed, he must have to have backsliding and renounce Jesus. He said, why do you say so? Matthew 8, when evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he what? Cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. So in Jesus' day, sickness was treated the same way as like demonic possession. In Jesus' day, demonic possession was treated as normal as sickness. The same way people go to church and say, Pastor, pray for me. I'm sick. I want to be healed. People walk boldly to church and said, I have a demon. I want that demon to leave me so I'll be free. Unfortunately, today it's not like that because of stigmatization. But normally, it is very important for everybody to know that you have to get every demon out of your life, out of your body, out of your soul, out of your spirit, so you can be free. Jesus didn't go chasing after people. Who is possessed? Come here. You know, you know I heard of some fetish priest said he catches witches. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus was not a witch hunter. People came to him willingly. The same way people are sick. Some people you meet, they are not sick. They are fine. But there's a demon in the end. That demon will harass you and destroy you and mess you up. And they said, in the day you are dying, he jumped out of you because he won't go to the grave with you. Though this spirit, he loves me very much. He's helping me know. If he loves you, he should go to the grave with you. The book of Acts 16, it said, Now it happened, as we went, we went to prayer, that a certain slave girl, possessed with a spirit of divination, met us, who brought her masters much profit by fortune-telling. So this demon was bringing money to the people. How? By fortune-telling. That means predicting people's future. Hello? He will look at you and say, yeah, you are going to be this and this and that. He will tell you accurate things. And I can't even tell you your name. So that's why it's not everybody who tells you things that come to pass that is of God. Malams can see things accurately. Me, when I was in secondary school, a friend of mine who lost his book, he said he will not let that book go. I said, yes, that book must not go. Because in the whole school, in the whole school, it was the only one we had in the mathematics class. One of the best mathematics textbooks. Somebody stole it. My friend, he's called Dixon. He's also a pastor now. Thank God. He said, I know a play. Let's go. The malam told us where the book was hidden. He said, go to the school farm. And he directed us. He said, when we went there, the guy has put the book in a polythene, tied it so that rain will not be tied like three, four polythenes. Then there is a heap somewhere. He went to dig a hole, covered it, then put the heaps of firewood and all those things on it. Brother, it's not story. I'm telling what I've seen. <laughs> Accurate prophetic. <laughs> but it was a spirit of divination. But we paid him. 
But the, guy, the lady was possessed. The lady was possessed. Hallelujah. Now, like I said, all demonic possessions were treated by Jesus. Let's look at book, the book of Luke chapter 8. And it came to pass afterward that he went through every city and village and preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. Verse 2. And certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Infirmity is sickness. So these women, some of the women were healed of evil spirits. Some were also healed of sicknesses. They were all treated the same way. So you are possessed doesn't mean you are bad. Nobody went around looking, asking for a demon. Demons enter people most of the time before you become born again. But when you know you have it and you are still keeping it and pretending you are fine, you are not being smart. You are not being smart. Mary called Magdalene, out of whom Jesus drove out how many demons? Seven. And the lady was now free and she was still serving Jesus in the ministry. Free. Now she can serve God well. Now, a believer cannot be possessed. Let me explain that. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 17. He said, but he who is joined unto the Lord is one spirit with him. He who is joined to the Lord. So when Jesus comes into your life, your spirit becomes one with the Holy Spirit. This scripture means that when you become born, the Holy Spirit comes to live where? In your spirit. He comes to live in your spirit. In fact, the same 1 Corinthians 6, 20. Look at verse 20. He said, for you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which belongs to God. The problem is that your whole life belongs to God, but the Holy Spirit comes to live only in your spirit, so that a demon cannot enter your spirit, but he can enter your mind if you refuse to yield your mind to the Lord. He can enter your body if you refuse to yield your body to the Lord. He said, your spirit and your body belongs to the Lord. Obviously, it includes your soul also. Now, people have asked me, okay, pastor, a believer cannot be possessed. What about a believer, an unbeliever who was possessed and gave his life to Christ? Do you understand the question? So, when an unbeliever who is possessed gives his life to Jesus, what happens to him? Is he still not possessed? When an unbeliever who is possessed says, Jesus, come into my life, I give you my whole life, the Holy Spirit comes straight into his spirit, but the soul and the body is still under Satan's control. So that person moves from being possessed to become obsessed. So the whole issue of spiritual warfare is simple. I'm going to simplify it for you. The whole issue of spiritual warfare is this. 1 Thessalonians 5.23. 1 Thessalonians 5.23. It said, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved, blameless, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, what is spiritual warfare all about? Spiritual warfare is all about one simple thing. Making sure that you keep yourself from obsession, from all demonic obsessions and all demonic possessions, so that you can be able to effectively deal with demonic oppression and aggression. Can I say that again? Spiritual warfare is about a believer keeping himself well from all obsessions 
and possessions so that he can effectively do what? Deal with demonic oppression and aggression. Because as for demonic oppressions and aggression, you cannot prevent it. It will come. But you can prevent demonic obsessions. Now, the problem is this. Many people are obsessed and they say they are fighting the devil. Is that going to work? Is that going to work? Uh-huh. That's, so Jesus said it. Prince of this world is coming. He has nothing in me. You see, if Satan has his fifth column inside you, you cannot effectively deal with Satan. So that's why many people are not effective in dealing with all demonic oppressions and aggression because you lost the battle in the place of obsession. And the secret is because of the scripture I read, 1 Corinthians 6.20, you have not surrendered your soul and your body to the Lord. Okay, now Jesus has given you authority over all demonic power and all the works of Satan. Now, when you become born again, let's go to Ephesians 2. Someone say, I have authority over Satan and all demons. Okay, it's not good to be saying this when he's inside you. Verse uh, 4. But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us. Someone say, God loves me. Okay, verse 5. Even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved. Verse 6. And he raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So the Bible says that when Jesus died, we died with him. Why? Because he died in our place. When he rose from the dead, God raised us up together with him. When he ascended to heaven, Spiritually, God elevated us to where he is seated. He raised us up together. Someone say together. And he made us sit together. So where Jesus is sitting now, he's not sitting there alone. We are also sitting there with him. And where is Jesus seated? The Bible says at the right hand side of the Father. That doesn't mean that it's a physical place. Like Dr. Beckwith is here, the wife is sitting where? At his right side. When we say somebody is my, your right hand man, it doesn't mean necessarily the person is always sitting by your right side. You agree with me? Then when the Bible says Jesus is sitting at the right hand side of the Father, he's saying he's seated at the place of authority. Amen. At the place of where? Authority. But he's not sitting there alone. He's sitting with us together. Now Ephesians 1, uh, 19 says something. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who do what? Believe. So this is for those who believe. Amen. According to the riches of his mighty power, uh-huh, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. And I said, when the right hand simply means place of authority. In heavenly places. So it's a whole thing is spiritual. Because heaven is a spiritual place. You know that already, isn't it? Physically, we are all here. Where are we now? Life with temple. Where are you seated? In church. Spiritually, you are not sitting here. Spiritually, you are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. It is referring to your authority. 
So where is your level of authority? Your level of authority is where Christ's authority is. In other words, the authority that Jesus has, he gave it to you. Verse 21, far above. So where Jesus is seated eh, is far above all what? Principality. And power. And might. That means, okay, and dominion. And every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. Jesus is seated at the place of authority above all powers, all principality, above every name. That is why if you mention his name in the realm of the spirit, how many of you have mentioned Jesus and people stood at you and laughed? It hasn't happened to you before. How many of you have seen that when the name Jesus is mentioned, people mock? So the name of Jesus, it doesn't have power over physical people. But in the spirit realm, when you mention his name, nobody can mock. All demons, all thrones, all principalities, all powers, every entity, including all the angels, they bow at the mention of his name. So now, Jesus said in, in Matthew 28, Matthew 28, Matthew 28, verse um, 18, and Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, what did Jesus say? All what? Read it, everybody. All authority has been given to me, where? Heaven and on earth. All authority. Why did Jesus say it has been given to me? Because God gave it to Adam. Adam lost it to Satan at the fall. When Jesus came to die on the cross, he took back the authority. That is why he went to hell. You remember I told you, I told you that Satan went, Jesus went to hell? And he came back and told, and appeared to John and said, I have the keys of death and death. Like, I can even lock hell. He said to the disciples, all authority is now mine. And he gave that authority. When he ascended to the right hand of the Father, he elevated all of us to that level of authority. So you see, when you are dealing with demons, you're not dealing with demons like, let me try it and see whether they will leave me alone. No. Let Luke 10 from verse 17. To 19. Then the 70 returned with joy, saying, What did they say? Lord, uh huh. Even the demons are subject to us in your name. Now, the word even means they were not expecting it. They didn't go out saying, Oh, today we are going to chase all demons out. Jesus sent them to preach. But when he sent them to preach, he said, heal the sick and cast out demons. Then they said, well, he said, we should cast out demons, so let's go and try it. And to their surprise, when they mentioned the name of Jesus, demons were living. So they came back with joy. And they said, Lord, among all the things that have been the most surprising one is that even demons were bowing to us in your name, not in our name. Hello? It's not about us. It's about what he has made us. And then what did Jesus say? Verse 18. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning. You know what he was referring to, isn't it? Yeah. He said, Satan is a fallen angel. Satan is a fallen angel. Angels are created with a 
lower level of authority to humans. Can I say that again? Angels are created with a lower level of authority than humans. Why? Why? Because God wanted a superior being to angels to rule the earth. When Satan was cast down to the earth, God wanted to create a higher being. That is why even the good, godly angels of God today, God's purpose is for them to serve us, to carry out God's errands on our behalves. Psalm 91, it says, he will give his angels charge over you. Charge over you. God will give his angels charge over you. Now, so if angels are being given charge over you, for what reason? To keep you, to serve you, to protect you. That means you are very, 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 very important. He shall give his angels charge over you to what? To keep you in all your ways. Uh huh. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Okay. You know, the, the problem many believers have is that angels are very powerful. So when we say you are higher in authority to angels, people don't understand it. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have seen the bodyguards of our president? How many of you have seen the bodyguards? The bodyguards and the president. Physical strength. Who is stronger? Hello? The bodyguards. One of them can push you and you fall down. If you go to the White House today, the Secret Service, well-armed, powerful, all manner of weapons, but their work is to guard one man. They are more powerful than the one man, but the one man they are protecting is higher than them. So the angels are greater God to be powerful so that you can be well protected. That's why you don't have to be afraid. Let's come back to, I've not finished Luke chapter 10. Jesus said, Satan is a fallen angel. Now, listen, if the godly good angels are even below you in terms of authority, how much more Satan, who is a fallen angel? Are you following me? That's what Jesus was telling them. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Then look at verse 19. You like it? He said, behold, I give you the authority. I give you what? Authority. What is authority? Ability to exercise what? Power. Can I give an example of authority? You know when you are driving on the highways, top speed, good car, and you see those black uniforms, and they do like this. What do you do? Your car and the black uniform, which is stronger? Your car. But you stop, isn't it? Yes. Why did you stop? It is not because there's something special about the black uniform. Sometimes you stop and you realize that guy, you are even older than him. You are more educated than him. You are, what would I say more? Maybe nice looking than him. You have more money than him. But you will stop. Why? Because that guy is not standing there in his own name, doing his own thing. He's standing there in the name of the government of Ghana. And if you didn't stop, you can be arrested and sent to court. Because that guy, he raised his hand by the authority that the government has put on him. Jesus said, I give you authority. Now, we don't have 
backing of Ghana government. Ghana government is too small. We have the backing of heaven. So when you say this morning, when you say Satan, stop it. You must believe that he's going to do what? He's going to stop. I give you authority over what? Serpents, scorpions, all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by enemies hurt you. You have authority. Somebody say, I have authority. But listen, you can have authority. If you don't exercise it, you'll be suffering. Are you hearing me? You can have this authority. If you don't exercise it, you'll be suffering. So when we pray, we are not praying in order to win. We are praying because we know we are winners. In spiritual warfare, we are not praying so that we can defeat Satan. We are praying because he is already defeated and we are applying and enforcing his defeat. You know, if you go to court to fight for a land that rightfully belongs to yours, belongs to you, that has been encroached upon. I'm taking my time to explain these things so that you understand. I'm using illustration. Listen, somebody has encroached on your land. The land is yours. You go to court and the court has ruled in your favor. Is that land yours? Yes. But could the people still be there? Yes, they can be there. Go and find us people. Because moving those people from the land is another, especially in Ghana. They are seeing the thing like that. They say, where, where do you want us to go? We don't have anywhere to go. They will call you wicked man. You can't you see my wife and children? This is where we are managing our little life. You are coming to eject us. But the land is yours. You have to take that court verdict. First of all, you serve the people. Move out and give them a deadline on humanitarian grounds. If they refuse to move, you can take the court verdict to the police and say, I have an issue. Some people have wrongfully encroached my land and asked them to move. They have refused to move. So I want you to help me move them. The police will come and move them for you. So you have authority. Somebody leave the right and say, I have authority. But you must know how to exercise the authority. Otherwise, you keep suffering. Every child of God has authority. The people who are winning. You see, spiritual warfare is not about fighting with a devil that is of the same strength as yours. It's about enforcing the defeat of Satan. It's about enforcing what Jesus already concluded on your behalf. Yeah. So you take authority in his name and you make a demand for Satan to live your life, to stay away from your marriage, stay away from your business, your finances, and you destroy every activity that he's performing against your life. You exercise your authority. Somebody say, I'll exercise my authority against the devil in the name of Jesus. Hope you've been blessed by today's message. You can contact Reverend Hubert on 030-340-7970 or 024-33-11201. Remain blessed.